starting early. If you have your Bibles, I want you to find Jeremiah. We're going to be flowing through Jeremiah. You can get your Bible app out, find Jeremiah. Uh, there's a good app you can get from, uh, it's just called the Bible app, and you can get it in the NIV, which I normally preach from. Uh, you can bring your Bibles with you and look up all these verses as we're going through. If you've got uh, plenty of time, you can start reading through the book of Jeremiah. It'll take you a while. It is the longest book in the uh, Bible. And uh, so um, uh, I would encourage you to uh, take it bits at a time. You can do that with us as we study it here on Sunday morning. Now, just a reminder, we're not doing a chronological study of the book of Jeremiah we're doing conceptual study, which means we're looking at the concepts that Jeremiah offered to those of his time to help them get through a very difficult period. And it's appropriate for us today to talk about Jeremiah because one of the things that he deals with, one of the concepts that he deals with is the promise of God, the common promise of God to all nations. Now, remember when we started this particular approach, this particular study, we didn't, uh, we were going to look at it from that standpoint of there's the specific truth that Jeremiah is speaking to uh, as far as the folks in his day. But then there's the universal truth of Jeremiah, which is still effective today. And when I say universal truth, I could also say eternal truth because the principles and patterns of scripture do not change. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never glory to his name. His word abides forever. It does not change. Now, there are people who will argue with that and say that the Bible contradicts itself. Uh, those people, uh, pardon the expression, are morons. They don't just take the time to read it or understand it or even appreciate it. They go from the standpoint that it's wrong, and so they look for uh, conflicts. They look for things where it shouldn't, uh, where it doesn't have agreement with itself, and then they try to embellish that and blow that out of proportion. But the truth of the matter is, is that when Jeremiah speaks, like when he spoke to Josiah, the king of Judah, or when he spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, or when he had the opportunity to communicate with Nebuchadnezzar, who was the world emperor of that day, what he said to them has an impact on us today because the principle's the same. And it's this, that God makes a common promise to humankind, a common promise. It is a promise that is mutual between man, women, and God. God says that if you will believe in me, trust in me, this promise, then you will be okay. But what we've done for since the beginning of time, even with Adam and Eve, is we've compromised the common promise of God. Now, this is a play on words today because the word compromise is actually a combination of those two words, common and promise. If you do an etymological uh, study, you can go back and you can see there's Latin, French, English, different kinds of influences, but it comes down to that mutual idea of the promise. It began to take on a different meaning as it was used in a legal sense to uh, mean compromise the way that we might think it. Uh, like, for instance, if there's something that's supposed to be 
that is uh, structurally compromised, we wouldn't want to go in that because there's some problem with it. And there's an argument that you can make that that's true because when it comes to a common promise, when we start to mess around with the common promise of God, we are compromising our own health. We're compromising our own future. And that's the take that we want to look at it from today because there are, um, there are many who are really kind of upset uh, after the last week or so. Um, as you all know, my family, we're in Oklahoma. We probably didn't watch or hear much news. And so on the way home, we were kind of surprised because there were people who were going out and doing all kinds of drastic things because the sky was falling. The sky was falling. And I, I thought to myself, well, I haven't got the, the text message on that yet, so I wasn't going to worry about it too much. So we're making our way across, and then finally we get home. I start getting bits and pieces of information that's coming in, and I realized that there's, a, according to, uh, I turn on the news, WHIO, their caption was Capital Crisis or uh, Country in Chaos. And so I thought, I must have missed something really, really super big. And I went back and I kind of checked out on some things. And I thought, well, this might be uh, chaotic or might be important because where it happened, but what has happened has been happening for the last year, hasn't it? People have been upset. They've been vocalizing their upsetness. They've been tearing things up. It just happened to happen where all the mouthpieces are that people think are important. And so now we got to do something about that. Then there was a talk of impeachment. I thought, oh my goodness, not again. Doesn't he only have 10 days left on his contract or something like that? But we want to go put the nation through this whole thing again about impeachment and cause people to take sides again and, and uh, take up arms against one another. And then, as I mentioned, there's more threats of riots. Didn't I see that they even put something up here in, in, at the state capitol in Columbus because they were worried there were going to be some kind of riots going on? And then, of course, preachers they, and, uh, and uh, prophets, they like to get in on, on, the, on the crisis. So people like Beth Moore and, and others have written things about what's going on uh, and how it all plays into the book of Daniel and Ezekiel and prophecy and things like that. And, and uh, they're getting people really kind of worked up about what's taking place. But if you read a book like Jeremiah, you're reminded, it's a godly reminder, that these kinds of things, nation crisis and chaos, is fairly normal. And when we ask why it happens, there's one entity or one resource that we better check out if we want to know the real answer, and that is God's Word. Because as Jeremiah spoke specifically to his time, he was speaking universally even to our time. Paul recognized this when he was making this argument in Acts chapter 17. He reminds the Athenians that are gathered there that are, they like to kind of debate about life. He reminds them why we are here. Acts 17 verse 24 says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath 
and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him, for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own prophets have said, we are the offspring of God. Now, the reality that Paul lived in when he wrote this is the same reality that Jeremiah talked about uh, five centuries later, in which he was trying to communicate that when things happen on a world stage or even in a local stage when it comes to nation buildings ups and downs, God has his hand in it. And if we forget that, it is easy for us as believers to think, like maybe those in Jeremiah's time, that we need to panic and we need to do things that are not so smart. Jeremiah was trying to help the people of Judah in uh, the city of Jerusalem, which was the, where the temple was, and his family who lived in the land of Benjamin, trying to help them understand how they needed to respond and react to their situation that was geopolitical at that time. And he helped them by giving them the point of view that we're going to call the Jeremiah point of view. So if I say the Jeremiah POV, you know what I'm talking about. He tried to communicate because God gave him this task to all the nations, all the powers that be at that time, that God had a promise that he was making to them. And it's this, that if we agree that the Lord is the creator and the center of all things, and make decisions based upon respect for him. He will prosper us, and he will give us a hope and a future. But if we don't, he will punish us. He will take away. He will diminish. He will destroy. Prosper or punish are the two choices every nation has. And right now, if we want to make it very simple, the same thing holds true for us. We can either choose to prosper in this nation or be punished with it. Now, I'm not proclaiming as a prophet on any level that I know that God is going to punish this nation. The nation is punishing itself as it wanders from God. You reap what you sow. God said he will not be mocked. Those in this world, your neighbors, your friends, people in your family, they may think that they can get away with things, that they can wander from God, that they can make church a far, uh, a far uh, or minor part of their life, that they don't have to pray, they don't have to be obedient, they don't have to honor God or teach those principles and patterns to their children that the Bible lays out for us. They may think that, they, that their kids will be good enough, their grandkids will be sufficient enough if they're just involved in the community. But here's the problem. It's what we don't take into consideration is that when we involve our children in a community that is rotting from the inside out, we are dooming them to that same rot in their own hearts and minds as they grow older. That's why it's so important for us to listen to this common promise that Jeremiah makes to all the nations and understand we are either going to prosper according to God's hand wherever we are, or we are going to be punished in the nation and in the situation in which we live. 
We compromise the common promise of God when we are compromised by our own pride, our passivity, our passions, and our politics. And the reason I mention those four things is because those are four concepts that Jeremiah deals with in his writings to the people. Now remember, Jeremiah is not chronological. It skips all around. It's more has these concepts of time and, and incidents. And so there are some parts that are go uh, one after another, but he, you know, he's back and forth in time uh, on the chronological scale in the way that he writes. And in that, we find that he is trying to say to all the nations, whatever the power was at the time, that if you compromise the common promise of God, you are compromising your own future health and stability. God made it clear that he wants us to prosper. He said in Jeremiah 29, 17 through 19, and you might want to memorize this verse and share it with everyone you know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations uh, and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. He continues in verse 17. Uh, I start in verse 11. He continues in verse 17. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send you the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like the figs that are so bad that they cannot be eaten. And I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent them again and again by my servants, the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. So before you leave there, let me just re-emphasize a couple things. God says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Now, when God says that he has plans for us, that means he has not only an idea of what he wants to do for us, but he has a whole structure in which he's going to complete it. When God says he has plans for you, you need to understand that he has the infrastructure already there for you to prosper in his plan. He wants you to prosper. He wants to give you hope and a future. And he is speaking this in a national sense to the children of Israel, the, the, those who had already been taken captive by the Assyrians and those who were under siege by those from the Babylonians. He was speaking to them that God wanted them to have a, future, a hope and a future. He wanted them to prosper. He had a plan for that. Now, in their context, they'd already crossed the line, so God was going to punish them and send them into captivity. But then he was going to gather all his remnant back from both sides, north and south, gather them all back into the land of Israel and rebuild that again so that when Jesus Christ came, there would be this land of Palestine or the, the kingdom of Israel that Jesus would be born into. Now, all of this is a matter of the Old Testament record, but Jeremiah says, I've got a plan. 
And if you want to understand this specifically, you need to understand today that no matter what's going on all around us, whether or not God is done with America or done with whatever, and he's going to send us into some kind of punishment or captivity, it can go well with you. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. It can still go well with you if you believe that God has a plan for you, a plan to give you hope and a future. Because how can he make that promise if he's not going to redeem or save his faithful? And we see that even in the story of Jeremiah where those who were faithful to the Lord, those who believed in him, those who followed his word, God took care of. Those who didn't, they were destroyed and decimated. He said that he used sword, famine, and plague. He mentioned that twice, sword, famine, and plague to punish. Why? Because they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. They did not listen. So here's the problem that we have. As God speaks to us through his word again and again and again, he's speaking to millions of people all around this country through preachers just like me who are trying to communicate the truth of the word of God. He wants us to know that we better listen and we better repent and we better encourage those that we know in our families and our friends lest they become so corrupt that they're lost in the captivity. We'll talk more about that next week, how people are being captivated. That's why we need to be safely home. And our theme this year is to be safely home. And here's the connection. Because until we're safely home in heaven, we must live securely and safely in our homes here on earth by sheltering in the safety of our church home and seasoning and saving our community with salt and light. Jeremiah helps us understand that those things we must address and avoid that are part of the common compromise of our culture that prevent us from enjoying the common promise of God. So if you're looking for a lesson, a broad lesson, a specific lesson from the book of Jeremiah, here's some things you better listen to today. Because if you don't listen to them, you'll be further captivated by this world and caught up in its punishment. Or you can repent, confess, agree that we need to listen to God, and God will prosper you, give you that hope and future. The first issue that Jeremiah dealt with uh, in many instances with, uh, with those that it, he was listening to, and it didn't matter, they could be, they were Jews, they were Babylonians, Assyrians, Egyptians, his whole audience that he spoke to was the issue of pride. The common promise God made to the nations is that he would prosper and provide even to those people and powers not designated as his chosen, if they would just uh, respect him. And he did so so that they could inhabit, that means make communities, build cities, in the hope that they would seek God. God had a purpose for uh, prospering them, creating civilization, if you will. Um, so there would, be, there would be a group of people that would go inhabit an area, that, just like we see here in, uh, in, in the good old United States of America back in the olden days, you know, the wild, wild west, where groups would travel, you know, people would come in, they'd start building farms and then communities, and used to be one street, uh, one street little town, and then they'd build things off of the, the main street, and then they'd become big cities, and then become metropolis-type uh, places. That's all part of how God 
creates in us a hope and a future, how he prospers us. And along the way, he has given us the opportunity to seek him in that. But what happens when he blesses and blesses and blesses, but we ignore, ignore, ignore because our pride. And we say things like this, like Nebuchadnezzar did. I made this. This is of my hand. This is of my genius. This is of my ability. This is something I have done. If you don't wake up every day and realize that you are so blessed to live where you do and when you do, and there's a blessing curses, a double-edged sword with that, then there's something wrong with the way that you're thinking. Because God has created this incredible opportunity for us to live this time and place and with all the technologies and all the blessings that we have. But he will not allow us to enjoy them and we will not prosper in them if we continue through our earthly pride to disrespect him, not seek him through it all. All he wants us to do is seek him through it. To say, this is a day Lord has made. This is a wonderful technology. Thank you, God, for it. This is a great nation. Thank you for it, Lord. This is a great city, a community, family. Thank you, Lord, for it. Seek him through all the things that he has created in his plan for you to give you hope in the future as you've inhabited the earth. He has blessed us in that. But the common compromise the nations made is they would not listen to God's messengers, and they followed their own stubborn hearts. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 8 through 17, tells a story. Actually, the whole chapter 13 tells a story about God telling Jeremiah to go get a belt. So Jeremiah goes and gets a belt. Then God says, Jeremiah, put the belt in a, in a rock, you know, hide it. So he puts it in a rock and he hides it in a specific place God tells him to. And then God says, Jeremiah, go get the belt. So Jeremiah goes and gets the belt. And then God pronounces this, tells this uh, story from Jeremiah 13. That's the context of it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. Jeremiah 13 verse 8. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt. Listen, he says, completely useless. When Jeremiah retrieved the belt, it had um, worms had eaten away and it just it had uh, lost its integrity, lots of stability. It was completely useless for what it needed to do. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. Say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Every wineskin should be filled with wine. And if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Then tell them, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and those living in Jerusalem. I will smash them one against the other. Parents and children alike declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep them from destroying them. Hear and pay attention. Do not be arrogant, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness before your feet and you stumble on the darkening hills. You hope for light, but he will turn it to utter darkness and change it to deep gloom. 
If you do not listen, I will weep in the I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will be bitterly overflowing with tears because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. Here Jeremiah is just warning his family and his friends, those that he loved. And you can tell Jeremiah loved the people of Judah. And he loved his family in Benjamin. He loved them and he loved those who had been taken captive to the north. He lamented, if you want to get a sense of that, read the book of Lamentations. That's Jeremiah just crying out before the Lord over his people. He says to them, I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears because the flock will be taken captive. He knew what was going to happen. God had already told him. Leading up to that, he gives this picture of smashing them one against one another, parents and children alike. Um, he will not allow pity or mercy or compassion to keep them from destroying one another. Sound familiar? Now again, we're talking about a universal truth here that God has instituted among the nations and among his people. The thing I kind of gravitate to is, is I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah, declares the Lord. I think in many ways there are those who believe that at one time this nation was bound to God. Our founding fathers had intended and designed it in such a way that it would honor God without forcing that on its citizenry. Have we become useless like the Israelites and the people of Judah because we have turned away to serving other gods. We're worshiping them. We're idolizing the things of the flesh. We're idolizing the things of this world around us. Even if those things may seem uh, amoral or not bad or evil, anything that takes, us, takes the place of God, anything that takes the place of worshiping him and him alone, it's not good. The Safely Home application is this, is that when we stop listening to those instructing us in God's word in favor of going after the gods of this culture, we lose the protection of the belt. God is holding us near him with the belt. We lose that protection. I remember a time, this happened to my dad, must be a Sibbins thing, but I was uh, bringing stuff into the office out here, going through that back door, my hands were full, and for some reason, uh, I was not wearing a belt. And if you have a body type like mine, uh, when your pants hit a certain point, there's no holding them back unless you're wearing a belt. My hips will not hold my pants up. That's what I'm saying. If they get down below a certain point, I'm just, you know, they're gone. Uh, and so the only thing you can do is reach down and... Uh, like you ladies who wear yoga pants all the time, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you got to bring them back up. So I got my hands full, as I normally do, because I want to get everything in in one trip. I'm not thinking about my pants. I go to the door. I start to turn the lock, and the jeans that I was wearing fell down to my ankles. And I'm sure that the folks from across the street, the Braggs, Got a great show, uh, and I kind of looked around. Thankfully, no one was outside at the time, but what could I do? I tried to get inside, and you know, trying to take a step with your pants down around your ankles up on that little step is a little difficult to do, so I almost fell down in the office and hurt myself. It was just a whole thing. Belts have a purpose. They keep it close. 
where it needs to be. And God, this picture that God gives is that he, he gives us this belt where he holds us close to him to protect us, to keep us safe. But we're rotting that belt. We're neglecting that powerful principle of respecting and honoring God and having no gods before him. We're toying with things that are man-made of our own invention, of our own creation, and we're worshiping them over the one true God. We're exposed. And that's what pride does to us. But what about our passivity? Jeremiah also deals with this idea of passivity or where you are have such a casual attitude, it doesn't matter to you anymore. The common promise God made to the nations is life and breath and everything else they needed to live on this earth. But now we think that if we don't have uh, Google or Amazon or uh, our, um, our streaming services, then, then life is over. Ever thought about that? How much technology has displaced our trust and our hope in God? There used to be a time when we'd turn things off and we'd just pray and think about Him. Now even seeking Him, many people cannot do it without going to YouTube or looking at their app or listening to Christian music or something along that line. Now again, I'm not saying those things are evil in themselves. The people who run them may have evil intent. We need to figure that out. But God is the one who gives us life and breath and everything else. But the common compromise is like Judah and Israel. They became a faithless and unfaithful nation because they just didn't care anymore. Now, later on, Jeremiah describes the Israelites as faithless. He describes his own family, the, Jew, the people of Judah and Benjamin, as unfaithful. I'm not sure which is worse. In the context of what Judah was saying, the unfaithful were worse because they should have known better. And I think the same thing is true for us here in the American church and in our church is that we should know better. But have we allowed our passivity to think, well, God's not going to do anything bad to us. You know, we've been here together, uh, or I've been with you here for 30 years, and this church has been here since 1873, and the United States of America has been here for a couple hundred years and some change, and so we think nothing bad's ever going to happen. Things just, I mean, there are things that happen, but nothing really super bad has happened. God's not going to do anything bad to us. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 11 through 19 says, The people of Israel and the people of Judah have been utterly unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. They have lied about the Lord, they said. He will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. The prophets are but wind, and the word is not, is not in them. So let what they say be done to them. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. Because the people have spoken these words, I will make my words in your mouth a fire, and these people, the wood it consumes. People of Israel declares to the Lord, I am bringing a distant nation against you, an ancient and enduring nation, a people whose language you do not know, whose speech you do not understand. Their quivers are like an open grave. All of them are mighty warriors. They will devour your harvests and food, devour your sons and daughters. They will devour your flocks and herds, devour your vines and fig trees. And with the sword, they will destroy the fortified cities in which you trust. Yet even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not destroy you completely. 
And when the people ask, why has the Lord our God done all this? You will tell them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your own land, so now you will serve foreigners in a land not your own. Now, I draw a lot of parallels here. Maybe you don't see between the church and a secular culture. If we replace the idea of Israel or Judah here with the church being the faithful and the secular culture, which is taking us more into a godlessness, which under that heading, there's the progressive movement, which even creeps into the church some quite a bit. But any idea, ideology or philosophy of governance or of, of life which excludes or secularizes itself from the Almighty God is this thing that is attacking the church. It's full of quivers. It's devouring our sons and daughters, our flocks, our vines, our fig trees. It's destroying us. All the while we're saying no harm will come to us. Nothing bad's going to happen. When we apply this to our safely home idea, it's our complacency. When we say no harm can come to us, our children will not be judged with violence because of our passivity. But God will destroy our protections. He will allow our children to be taken captive to serve the enemy's interests if we do not repent. We've been peering into the abyss in this last year where we've seen riots and rampages and rebellions without restraints. And we've looked at it from afar. It's not happened to us. So uh, we, we think that it's not a big deal. But now the senators and congressmen, they think it's a big deal. Because they were the ones that were subjects or objects of the wrath. We have rebellion without restraint, riots and rampages that are going on, and it is consuming our young people. And if you don't think that's true, you might have a conversation with your grandchild or your own child and ask them how they feel about those protesters. We may think, ah, it's no big deal, no harm's gonna come to us. But God is warning us through Jeremiah that we need to repent we cannot be complacent. We need to confess our sin and ask God for his protection again and turn away from the idols of this world and encourage our children and our grandchildren to turn away from those idols. Because the next thing has also been a problem and that is the passions have captured us. The common promise of God has made, uh, has made uh, humankind, let me say that again, the common promise God has made to humankind is he is near us so we can easily know what pleases him. We don't have to go very far. God says there through Acts 17. He does all these things so that we can reach out to him and he's not that far from us. It's just a matter of acknowledging him, believing in him, believing that he exists and trusting in his son Jesus Christ. But the common compromise is we would rather serve the gods of our hands that our hands have made following our own passions and desires because it's more pleasurable to us. It's less stressful to us, we think. But in Jeremiah uh, chapter, what are we here? Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20 through 25, Jeremiah said, Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. 
Indeed, on a very high hill and under every spreading tree you lay down as a prostitute. I'd planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? And although you wash yourself with soap and you use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. How can you say I'm not defiled? I've not run after the bales. See how you have behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it is no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. The Safely Home application for that is when, when self-discovery trumps seeking God because that's our passion. We limit our pursuit to nothing beyond our own imagination. And when our schedules are driven by our passions instead of God's purpose for us, we are prostituting our children and grandchildren to the gods of this age. Is it too severe? Jeremiah uses very graphic language here. Is it too severe for us to say that we are pimping out our own children to a godless culture. There are horrible things that happen in the dark in this county. And if we think about it too often, it's just so very discouraging, but there's a problem. We've discovered this in counseling and that there are local parents, fathers and mothers, who will sell their children in sex acts just so that they can get drugs. Are you disgusted with that? I hope you are. But are we doing the same thing, prostituting our children so that we can get drunk on the wine of culture? Jeremiah warns against this. He warns against us following our passions. Again, specific to the people of Judah, but there's a universal truth here. And then finally, the area of politics. Jeremiah makes the common promise of God to the leaders of all the nations. And that is that if they will honor their calling, that God put them in their place of power, that he will bless their people. But the common compromise is like lusty stallions. They neigh for God's wife. And what happens here is God gives this picture here where like Nebuchadnezzar is a perfect example. And you can read this story in uh, Daniel uh, 4 about how Nebuchadnezzar takes credit for the things God has done. So God drives him crazy for a while, makes him insane. And so in that, there's a lesson. There's this story here where when these leaders, they come into power... And they feel like they are kings of the world, that nothing can harm them. They claim God's creation as their own. They claim God's children as their own. And God says, nah, it's not going to happen. 
The common promise is that if you will acknowledge me as a leader, and that's why it's so important for us to pray for those who are in power over us. Pray for your leaders. We need to pray for our president, pray for our, our senators, congressmen, uh, both state, federal, local. Pray, 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 pray. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter four, uh, 5, verse 5 through 9, So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will ravage them. A leopard will lie and wait near their towns and tear to pieces any who venture out. For their rebellion is great and their backsliding many. Why should I forgive you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I've supplied all their needs, yet they committed adultery and thronged the houses of prostitutes. They are well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for another man's wife. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Again, the parallels can be striking if you really take some time to think about it. When our leaders of any nation, including ours, claim that we are their people and not God's children, when they exploit, manipulate, or try to misuse, God will deal with them. But as his people, we must fight that real battle because the real battle in Washington right now is for your allegiance to parties and powers, not promise and principle. And our proper response is to pray for our leaders to do the right thing in our daily lives before, um, before God, lest we are torn to pieces like they are. We can get caught up in their punishment that is coming. Every once in a while when I'm a bit frustrated, I like to listen to Phil Robertson. And he's got his uh, podcast called Unashamed. So it came up on, um, on my uh, one site the other day that I was looking at. So I just, I tuned in and I listened to Al and Jace and, and Phil talk about their response to what happened in, in Washington. It was, it was very uh, thoughtful and, and I thought um, uh, right on, right on the, the nose. But what uh, Phil reminded his audience that was listening is that the church, Christians, believers, our allegiance and our priority should always be to worship and honor the one true God. And as as long as we're able as as long as we're able to do that in peace, as long as God allows to be at peace with others in that. But his prescription was if we're not tripling, quadrupling. Uh, multiplying by 10 the amount of prayer that we're offering right now, then our nation could be in trouble. Jeremiah dealt with the politics of the time as a backdrop to the same problem, the common compromise of the people that he cried over and that they were forsaking the one true God to follow after things they think they thought they made themselves. Now, the constant upon which we can depend is this. God always protects and provides for the repentant and for the prayerful people who believe in his common promise to us. 
We must allow the help of Jeremiah to give us insight into any compromise we have made when it comes to our pride, passivity, or politics. And we're going to dig into this deeper as we go through the year. Because there is punishment for those things, even as God prospers the faithful. And I can't guarantee that God can save the culture in which we live. There are many who argue that he will and he can. But the remedy is always the same, is that if my people who are called by name, my name will humble themselves and pray that he will hear and he will heal. So whatever's going on in these turbulent times, we think about, are we on the verge of a civil war, or breakdown, or are all these different kinds of things? But really, this is nothing compared to what awaits this country and her people if we go the way of the faithless and the unfaithful as, Ju as Judah and Israel did. But I want you to have hope. And the reason that we're offering this theme this year of Safely Home is because I want to encourage you to build your home safely. Because when we have safe homes where we're teaching and training our children that are protected and fed into, complemented by a church family, which we're all part of, then we can help build our communities so they're stronger. And when we have stronger communities, we have stronger counties, stronger states, stronger country. It works that way. It's from the inside out, not from the top side down. You can't decide tomorrow to be the president of the United States and fix everything for everybody. But today you can get on your knees and you can pray and you can ask God to use you. And as for you and your house, claim to promise to serve him with all your might. Because we need to believe in the community of believers. This past week, as you all know, we were in Oklahoma. Um, I was able to... Uh, share, uh, do my mom's uh, memorial service or celebration of life. And I don't know, uh, some of you might have been able to see that online. It was nice of them to stream that live and post that, so that was nice. I think about uh, my mom's uh, funeral and what it is that she stood for all of her life. And again, she was not a, she was not a famous person and uh, no one's going to write her name in any kind of history book. But her name is written in the book of life. And we are so confident that as she went to be home with the Lord in the way she wanted to, and she had no suffering, she was in pain this last year. She was not able to get out and move around the way that she wanted to. And when I talked to her a day or two before she passed away, she knew her choices were to either get up and get moving, get some help with that, or just say, Lord, I'm ready to come home. And she chose the latter. But the one thing that I pointed out was that my mom believed in the community of believers in her church, in her family, and in prayer. And she wasn't a perfect woman, and she uh, loved this country, and uh, she wanted to support it the best she could. But she knew that it was through prayer and her own personal obedience that it was made strong. When you have this conversation with your friends or neighbors or family, we need to have this frank discussion with them about this is what will turn the tide. If they're about worried about what's going on here and there and other things, the only answer to that is we need to pray and then we need to be obedient. We need to honor God in our place, in our time, because God says that he's the one that provides the hope in the future. He's the one that prospers. 
He's the one who has the power. And if we are like the nation, the national leaders, and we take the credit ourselves, or if we're complacent, we say, it's not our problem, nothing bad's ever going to happen to us. Or if we're so caught up in our own passions where we, we think that we've created all of this and so we're going to ignore God and put him off on the side and do whatever we want. Then we need to know the universal principle is true. As God wants to prosper us, he will also punish us because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And the purpose of his punishment is so that we will repent and turn to him. You can either be, what's the right word? You can either be encouraged to do that through discipline, or you can choose to do that through obedience. And that's your choice today. And that's the choice of our nation. And that's the choice you need to talk to your friends and family about. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today to talk about the common promise you have made to every man, woman, and child, every nation, every nation, tongue, and tribe, every king, queen, president, dictator, emperor. You've given us all the same choice, and that is that if we will honor you, if we'll respect you, we'll agree that you believe and that you love those who seek after you, that you will create this um, place where we can uh, prosper and have hope in a future. But you've also made it clear through Jeremiah today that you will punish at times whenever your people who are bound by your belt choose to turn away from you because they've allowed that belt to rot through their own disobedience in their life, that you will respond to that. And so for all of us here, let it start with us. For anyone who might listen to this online, let it start with them today to pray. Lord, forgive us. Show us. We confess our sin to you. We repent of that. We will turn from our wickedness. We will put you number one in our lives. We will make church a priority. We will make serving you and honoring you and uh, uh, providing uh, for our families through you. That will be our whole purpose in life as you've given it. And as we do that, Lord, we know that you will prop us up and strengthen us and give us what we need and bless us. And if there's a period of captivity or darkness that we're going to have to endure, that our children and grandchildren might have to learn something through, help us to give them the wisdom, the wise words, the truth, the perspective, the point of view of Jeremiah that will get them through to the other side. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today and to learn these things. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, and let all God's people say.